Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my 5-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host and nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guests, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I'll also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and it is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Rochelle Martin and Olaf Sorensen. So I'm very pleased to welcome back Rochelle. Rochelle was my guest on episode seven um, in May in 2019. And just to refresh your memory, Rochelle is a qualified nurse. She holds a master's in human nutrition and has a nutrition practice within a gastroenterologist's rooms. She specializes in low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. And that was the subject of our previous episode. I received a lot of interest about that episode, so we're going to take up our conversation about low-carbohydrate diets, and we'll also look at another dietary protocol that has quite a dedicated following, the carnivore diet. Briefly, my understanding of the carnivore diet is that it is essentially a zero-carb, high-protein diet, where the only foods eaten are red meat, organ meats, poultry, fish, eggs, lard, butter, bone marrow, and bone broth. I think I can accurately describe this as a radical or unorthodox diet, and therefore it is bound to provoke controversy. To put this in the context of real human experience, Rochelle and I are joined by Olaf Sorensen, a carnivore athlete. So Olaf has led a very interesting nomadic style life. He now lives in Adelaide where he runs his own gym, 30 Minute Strength. And these days, Olaf, an accomplished distance runner, advocates a minimalist approach to exercise, 30 minutes of strength training per week. This will be the subject of another podcast because we've got too much else to cover today. And I can promise you that that will be a fascinating episode. I'm talking movie opportunities, Dr. David Perlmutter, Caballo Blanco. As I mentioned, Olaf follows a carnivore diet. He's arrived here after obsessive, his word not mine, self-experimentation to discover optimal bodily function. And that will be the focus of our discussion today. I do have an important disclaimer here though. Because the carnivore diet works well for Olaf, be aware that individual personal experience does not equal scientific evidence of its effectiveness in general. So I urge anyone wanting to try a carnivore diet to consult with a health practitioner or Rochelle first, especially if you have kidney disease. As many of you know, I am a plant food lover, although for various reasons, I have recently incorporated some animal protein into my diet. But as always, my own dietary predilections aside, I'm ever keen to keep an open and curious mind. One thing I am confident about is that there is no one-size-fits-all diet. So, on with the show. Hi, Rochelle, and hi, Olaf. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, Amanda. 
Hello. Hi. So in episode seven, we learned about Rochelle's background. So now we're going to meet Olaf. Olaf, before we dive into our discussion about your dietary evolution, you were born in Denmark on a farm. You lived a nomadic life, I believe, and now you're living and working in Adelaide. So can you tell us about that journey and how you ended up here in Adelaide? came to Adelaide about uh, four years ago. Uh, before that, I'd actually been overseas traveling uh, for about five years, sort of more or less consecutively. And in those five years, um, the last two, I, was, I went to Mexico and ran an ultra marathon every year. You might have heard the, about the book Born to Run. It's the, the race yeah, in there. I love that book. Yeah. So I sort of ended up a little bit by chance there and actually they made a documentary uh, the first time I was there. So I got a, a tiny part in that one. <laughs> He's a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but that's, yeah, one of the adventures you sort of fall into. But it was at the uh, end of my second, second time I went to Mexico when I came back to Europe to work for the summer, I discovered the low-carb diet, but it was more in the context of trying to manage my energy for the long mm-hmm. distance running but of course then being a bit of a, a nerd uh, you dive right in to what it's all about how it works ketones and being in ketosis uh, so that's sort of really where the whole diet journey started probably uh, at the end of uh, 2013. Okay and if we just jump um, back a little bit you you have an athletic pedigree because your grandfather competed in the 1952 olympics marathon and i know in 2013 you set yourself a goal of matching or breaking his best time which i believe was two hours 40 41 is that right 240 42 yeah 42 yeah. so um so you were obviously running a lot. I think you said in excess of 100 kilometers a week. And now he takes a different approach to running and exercise. But we are going to cover that in another podcast because it's a really interesting thing to talk about. But in this podcast, we're just going to mainly focus on diet. You've mentioned that you started looking at um, low-carb diets and trying to improve your energy so can you talk a bit more about that? So where's your diet gone? Like, how has it moved and where are you now? So it's about five or six years, I suppose, since I sort of discovered the low carb and pretty much been on, on that journey since. But about two, two and a half years ago, uh, when the carnivore diet was sort of gaining a bit of popularity, mm-hmm. I started experimenting with that, not because I wasn't happy with uh, the way I was feeling and performing on just low carb with a lot of vegetables, but a bit more out of curiosity. Um, but I pretty much started and then never really went back because I just find it really agrees with, with mm-hmm, me, my mm-hmm. physiology, and it makes cooking very simple. <laughs> yes. Um, I was always a big fan of roasting vegetables, and, and um, so that obviously is a lot of prep time. But yeah, when you just eat basically meat, fat and eggs, um, (laughs) it makes your shopping list very easy and also cooking very easy. So before we go on and talk a bit about what your daily um, intake looks like, Rochelle, could you uh, tell us from a nutritionist point of view, can you start by explaining what a low carb diet is and then what a carnivore diet is? Yeah, sure. So a low carb diet is one typically that is going to... it's, it's usually something that's under about 100 grams of carbohydrate a day. Um, that depends, of course, on people and their symptoms, if they've got IBS or other things like that. 
um, a carnivore diet eliminates um, carbohydrate right out of their diet yep. in terms of um, vegetables and fruits and mainly what they stick to that's right is what you're pointing to there right there <laughs> is is your red meats and you you know your porks your, your seafood um, eggs um, animal products butter ghee depends um, sometimes suet and so forth so it's it's very very low 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 like no carbohydrate pretty mm-hmm. much yeah and so um, Rochelle as you may remember specializes in low carb diets and the ketogenic diet and I've read somewhere that the carnivore diet grew out of people who were on the keto diet who wanted to take things sort of one step further or experiment a bit more. So then can you tell us then what are the differences between the keto and the carnivore diet? Yeah, so a ketogenic diet, it, it, it comes from trying to understand why people are, are taking that on board and what they, what they want to achieve out of it. Mm-hmm. A ketogenic diet is one where people that might be coming out of it because they want weight loss or something yeah. like that. But it's also because specifically they're looking to get into this state called nutritional ketosis, which we talked about in our last podcast. Um, very much anti-inflammatory. Um, you're changing your glu- your metabolism from glucose burning to fat burning. Yeah. Where sometimes people come across from from my experience, you know, um, like Olaf said, you know, he came across carnival because he wanted to experiment, you know, whether that gave him um, better sustainability with his athleticism. Other people will come come across it because um, it's it's like the best elimination diet you can use. Yeah, it's the almost I guess the ultimate it is elimination the ultimate. diet, isn't it? Yep. Because there's not much in it. <laughs> yes well, and no. Yeah. So so this is this is where I beg to differ. So and I I think um, it's not neither of these two diets are a fad. Um, if we actually look at Maasai warriors or the Bisson people or Aborigines. These are ancient cultures that have go back, you know, Inuits as well. They go back way, 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 a long way. And these people typically ate carnivore diets. Yeah. They would have eaten some um, plants and herbs and things, so I think, depending on availability and stuff. Availability, yes. But, I mean, you know, you're talking, <laughs> you're out as an Inuit. Yeah, no, Inuits may be a so, bit different. So seasonal. But... but I think, I mean, I mean, you know, it's fascinating sitting here that listening that Olaf is from Denmark. Yeah. We recently spoke about my ancestry um, and finding that I've also got some Nordic blood in me as well. Yeah. So, so I think coming back and whether we, I mean, in our nutrition degrees, I mean, we often talked about nutrigenomics and people addressing their, their genome and, and diets. And the more I understand about nutrition, the more I think we need to honour that. Well, I absolutely agree, which is why one of the things I say all the time is there is no one right diet for everyone because I yeah, do believe that. that different people respond differently yep. to what they eat. I mean, food allergies is a very obvious example, isn't it? That yep. Some people can eat gluten, others can't. Uh, if we jump back to Olaf now, can you tell us, because I think this is really interesting, what do you eat on a typical day during a typical day? Okay, so this morning, um, well, I start very early with a cup of coffee with cream. Um, and then uh, I go and ride racehorses for a few hours. Uh, so I start my day at about 4.30. Right, wow. So, but... Then I eat somewhere between 10 and 12 whenever I get hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I had my very simplest meal. I had some uh, marrow fat 
and I had some ribeye steak, two eggs, and some liver powder. Mm-hmm. And that'll sort of sustain me now till probably six o'clock tonight. Uh, I usually find eating this way, uh, I got to have at least eight hours before I get hungry again. Right. So you eat according to your body rhythms and your hunger. I'll eat if I get hungry. Uh, But now that I've, because I sort of, I've been tracking everything for the last three years Mm -hmm. and trying to sort of really pinpoint what makes me feel, feel good and feel the best energy levels and... It's surprisingly when you tune this in how little food you eat. Uh, I've I've come. I did a presentation in 2018 where I'd eaten over 200 grams of protein per day, mm-hmm. uh, and I was functioning well. I probably had my best body composition ever. Since then, I've sort of been tinkering with it, and now I'm probably less than 100 grams of protein, right, uh, and a little bit more fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is quite amazing how how little little amount of food you need. I think well, that's probably because fat and protein um, are a lot more satiating or filling than carbohydrates. So it sounds like you eat um, a fair bit of fat. I know Rochelle does because she is following a ketogenic diet. And I know in the past there's been a general fat phobia especially saturated fat in western culture and this may be gradually changing but Rochelle do we need to be afraid of fat? Um, the answer to that question is no um, so there's been some recent meta-analyses that have come out really strong evidence showing that eating saturated fat does not cause cardiovascular disease the concern at this point is then people say oh my cholesterol is really high my cholesterol is high your cholesterol, there are some people um, like myself, we're called lean mass hyperresponders. So some of us, when you go on a keto or a high fat diet or a carnivore diet, you might find changes in your lipid profile. Mm-hmm. So now we're talking about cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, triglycerides. What you should expect to see is your triglycerides come right down. Right. It's really important that that happens. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that is really good. Um, but for some of us, and, and what you'll see is, for, you know, that cholesterol will go up, but cholesterol is really important. It's important for cell membrane. It's important for brain health. It's important for many, many things, lipoproteins, hormones, and so on and so forth. Worry less about the cholesterol. Now let's talk about HDL cholesterol. Everybody knows if you've got a high HDL cholesterol, that's a good thing. People also worry about LDL cholesterol. Mm. We don't need to worry so much about that, but I'm going to talk more about that. So recently there have been um, some papers that have come out saying that those very small lipo, lipo, uh, sorry, LDL particles are a concern. But what we can do now is a blood test to actually have a look is when we're on these diets and and we've done a ketogenic or a carnivore diet, Mm -hmm. the LDL particles change. And for example, in someone like me, they go up and they stay up. Okay. What you mean the levels are elevated? Yes, the levels are elevated. Yeah. What about the size of the... The size, there you go. So the size becomes very large and fluffy. Right. Which means it takes that pattern of cardiovascular disease away. Right. Right. How, how does it do that? Because what it does is it makes them really large and, and so less dense. So they don't dense. adhere onto They your... don't adhere. That's yeah. right. So so you're not left with those very small particles, your VLDLs, if you like. Mm-hmm. But you can actually do a blood test to check for this. So it's called subfractionation of your lipid profile. 
Is that has that been around for a while or is that new? It's pretty new. Yeah. Cardiologists, if you ask them, know how to do it. Mm-hmm. It's about one hundred and twenty-five dollars, and you can get it done through ClinPath. And what they'll do is they'll do a complete breakdown of your lipid profile. And then they can tell you what your risk factor is. So for me, I was pretty happy to get that done because I'm, I'm this lean mass hyperresponder. My LDL stayed high, but I wanted to know what is my LDL doing? And when we broke down those particles to VLDLs, mm-hmm. what we found was I had a lot less that were related to cardiovascular disease. So I came across as somebody with pattern A. Pattern A has no risk or reduced risk of cardiovascular disease versus somebody that is a pattern B. So we can actually have a look at that now and differentiate between the two. Well, that's actually really interesting because I think um, probably a lot of the fear around cholesterol and fat has been based on these sort of gross numbers, I guess, yeah. for want of a better word. And, and if you're looking behind the numbers and at the actual characteristics of the type of cholesterol, that it seems that you're saying that's what's important, how the molecules look. Yeah, absolutely. And look, even recently, there's a study just from October of last year where they had a look at um, dietary saturated fat intake and the risk of stroke. Now, this was a systematic review and a meta-analysis of prospective cohort studies. That's a lot of jargon in there, isn't it? (laughs) But for Amanda and I, what that means is um, what they found was that basically your dietary fat intake basically reduced your risk of stroke, actually. Reduced your risk of stroke. Oh, that's it. Sorry, I was tuning out there because I was looking at my next question. (laughs) So, yeah, so your saturated fat intake, okay, the higher that went up, it reduced your risk of stroke. Oh, that is kind of a bit out there, isn't it, compared to what we... Yeah, a lot of myth busting yeah. needs to happen around yeah. fat, and I think you could ask you could ask any dietitian, nutritionist, you know, cardiologist, you know, who, who's up to date with their research, and they say to you, yeah, saturated fats are no longer a problem. Yeah, I guess though, like everything, people are eating a varied diet, so it's not it's probably not just looking at you know how much saturated fat you eat are you also eating processed food are, you know there's mm-hmm. there's a lot going into it isn't there so mm-hmm. um we don't need to be scared per se of saturated fat but we do need to eat an overall healthy diet i think but what's healthy well i think it's a different thing for different people so speaking of that let's hear about olaf and you know the the changes you say you're trying to look for the optimal performance so what have you noticed um, in your body in your athletic performance perhaps in your mental um, outlook and attitude to everything well I was um, in regards to those people who who are very interested in in ketones for instance Mm -hmm. uh, I was you know I've done thousands of uh, finger pricks and I noticed when I was low carb, I was still felt like I was in ketosis, but the measurements were starting to drop. Yeah. I could still go the two meals a day, even when I was eating vegetables and just a normal low carb. When I switched to carnivore and sort of got that dialed into where I felt good, you sort of, I eat about, a, a, if you work out calories, 80% fat, 20% protein. When I really dialed that in, um, I could feel there's a bit more ketosis and also my numbers bumped back up. So you're a carnivore, a ketogenic carnivore, would you say? Yeah, I don't measure religiously every day like I have done for a long time. But, um, I mean, chances are if you can go eight hours between meals and feel good, you're probably in ketosis. Mm. Um, And I could feel that keto buzz early in the morning. So it definitely 
just the switch, keeping the same uh, macros, so to speak, yep. fat to protein, there was a really distinct difference when I dialed in the carnivore that I could never dial in the same way with, with low carb. Okay. And can you tell me what, what do you mean by keto buzz? Because I don't... Um, what that is so people if 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 people are in in this space they yeah. sort of know that when you've you you in ketosis you almost get like a, a bit of a high in the morning and yeah or anytime, or anytime you anytime. ketones and then usually if you then do a finger prick that test chances mm-hmm. are your ketones are somewhere between one and three or even higher um and i i sort of had that low low buzz uh, beforehand as well Mm-hmm. But it started getting more distinct, and because I've been tracking my numbers, uh, it did go up. Uh, and yeah, there was just it was just like a, another level up again, and that was pretty much just eliminating the, the plants. And so, and how did that relate then to your athletic performance? Well, I really can't say there's any change in what I could do. Uh, if anything, it, it went up. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the mental clarity is the real distinct. I used to, I've, I've drank that many bottles of MCT in my time <laughs> having the Bulletproof coffee every morning, um, which I don't haven't, haven't done since I went carnivore. Um, and I'd say your, your energy and your hunger levels are even more controlled. You, you really don't get hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit like you don't really get hungry until the food is, like you relate to this, Rochelle. Until the food's in front of you on the table, and you uh, smell it, perhaps, and yeah, yeah. then you oh, I can actually eat now. But yeah. it's you, you never get this this sort of crash ever. What we're talking about here are the two hormones, ghrelin and leptin. So I like to say greedy ghrelin. If you think of ghrelin being the hunger hormone, um, and then what happens in people who follow a ketogenic diet or a carnivorous diet. Um, and when we're in nutritional ketosis, we experience leptin sensitivity, so it improves out of sight. So, yeah, Olaf is quite right. We go through these periods where we just we don't have hunger, mm. um, and it's not until you're sitting down, and sometimes you could quite easily go without eating if you wanted to um, and continue fasting. But, you know, it's, it's not this... Um, peaks and troughs uh, of what people experience that eat, you know, a lot of carbohydrate. We don't have that. Yeah. Um, can you tell us, Rochelle, one of the things that I think people listening to this would be thinking is, okay, if you're cutting out um, plant-based food, are you missing out on things like dietary fiber and vitamins and antioxidants? So what do you say about that? Because vitamin C, for example, um, humans can't synthesize that themselves. Mm. Um, they they need to obtain it somewhere else. So. Yeah. Are there any concerns about those things? Well, this is really interesting. Um, so for anybody who follows me on Insta, they know that I've spoken about this before. <laughs> um, so if we have a look at organ meats, in particular liver, liver is actually quite a good source of vitamin C. So so that's probably why Olaf talks to you about having his liver powders and stuff mm. like that. So the other thing that's really important, um, which probably hasn't been mentioned before, is that for at least over 100 years, we've known that fresh meat actually uh, prevents and cures scurvy, or that's a lack of vitamin C. It's well documented from the Arctic explorers. And what's interesting to note is the USDA uh, never actually tested for vitamin C in meat. Um, They knew that there was a small amount, but there's much more in liver. Um, A carnivore needs less vitamin C because they're more efficient at at absorbing it, as the vitamin C doesn't have to compete for um, uptake of glucose 
um, in the uh, small intestine. So what's interesting about all of this is most of the, if we come back to NRVs, you know, recommended daily amounts and so so forth, um, primarily what was studied was populations and individuals who consumed high-carb grain-based diets. Mm-hmm. So we've got to put this into perspective. So there's no real idea of optimum levels of vitamins and minerals for this subset, such as us like Keto Carnivore. They don't actually know. And yet Olaf and I are sitting here and we don't have scurvy. No, no, no. <laughs> We're looking pretty healthy today, I think. Um, so that's that's in response to vitamin C. In response to dietary fibre, I love this question. Um, yeah, well, I think that would be a very common question because it's what yeah. you first think of if you yeah. plants, vi- you know, fibre. So. All right. So the way that I like to explain this to my patients when we talk about keto or carnivore diets, because, yes, you know, dietary fibre does plummet. Um, my husband is uh, got a PhD in uh, colorectal cancer prevention. He's a gastroenterologist. And we were at the low-carb conference on the Gold Coast and we were fortunate enough to sit next to... Um, uh, Dr. Stephen Finney, who's an eminent expert in this field. And my husband was all, you know, oh, this isn't right. And, you know, we need our dietary fiber. And of course, I knew the research on this. So I let him ask the question to very eminent uh, Dr. Finney. And, you know, Jonathan said to him, well, look, without this dietary fiber, you know, how are we getting good bowel health? And if we understand, you know, when we feed fiber to our bowel microbiome, in return, those microbiome pump out these short chain fatty acids. Mm-hmm. And those short-chain fatty acids are responsible for something called apoptosis or getting rid of or reducing um, precancerous polyps in the bowel. So, yeah, what do we do in the event that we take out our fiber? Well, yeah. here's the so cool what thing. was the answer? Yeah, so the answer is this. So that short-chain fatty acid, and that's a really important word I want people to focus on. So when you're in nutritional ketosis – we produce systemically that short-chain fatty acid or a ketone, and that ketone is called beta-hydroxybutyrate. So not only do we have that absolutely flowing through our bodies from top to bottom, um, it's it's everywhere in us, whereas somebody who's not in that state only has it in their large bowel if they're eating plenty of dietary fiber. Right. So mm. the body adapts metabolically then? The body adapts metabolically, Yes, um, but you have to switch from being in a metabolizing glucose to metabolizing fat and to be in nutritional ketosis to yeah. benefit from that state. So you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you almost have to be on one side of the equation or the other. If you're sort of trying to half-heartedly do the ketogenic diet and not quite doing it properly, then maybe you're getting no benefits at all from don't don't know if, if i agree with that and i think that's a space still to be investigated right. i do know of plenty of people that will do uh it's called carb cycling yeah what's interesting about that is they might do keto for three weeks and then they might do a week of being um you know ha- having carbohydrate yeah um, and they find that works for them I guess the other thing we've got to look at is what are the benefits of being in nutritional ketosis for some hours in the day and how much is enough now yeah do we know well n equals one of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) i ran an experiment on myself (laughs) you and olaf (laughs) yes um and this is a really good experiment so for the last decade i was showing um very very high anti-nuclear antibodies so what's that explain what that is so that's that pretty much means I'm I'm about to get diagnosed with an autoimmune dis- disorder. Okay. Um, 
well, from what it looked like, possibly rheumatoid arthritis or, or lupus. I mean, two things I really didn't want. No, of course not. Um, so for me, it was also about setting about um, making sure that I was in very strong nutritional ketosis and also using a lot of fasting protocols. Um, and I did some really strong fasting protocols for about six months. Um, my ANA level when I took it and, you know, my GP was talking to me was really high. It was, it was one in 1,280 or something like that. Not a nice score. Mm-hmm. It needs to be under 160. Um, when I came back six months later, it was 80. So wow. I'd have returned massive to, to normal. And I've just repeated that. You can see a bit of the bruise on my arm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, another six months later and it's still at 80. So I don't have any threat of an autoimmune condition with me anymore. Do you feel better? I do. Yeah. yeah. Olaf and Rochelle have both seen uh, benefits personally from eating in this way. But what's really curious to me is, um, and Olaf and I discussed this when we met prior to this podcast, is how how do you um, get over the lack of, I mean, do you miss different textures and flavours? Is that something you bo- that bothers you? Well, this is really, really interesting because when I didn't know, I enjoyed eating vegetables Mm. and so when I started carnivore I thought well I'll just keep my two favorite which was uh, raw red capsicum and my homemade sauerkraut so I'll just stick with those and and maybe phase them out but I don't think it was a week and I was just leaving them on the plate and now uh, well chance I, I don't miss it and I, actually when I do put vegetables in my mouth it's it feels like this fibrous material and my brain is sort of thinking what is in this there is no there's no caloric value here oh, and that, it just very I, interesting I will I'll, I'll definitely if somebody puts a plate of food and it's interesting I'll definitely try it but yeah this this lack of variety is really interesting because I I sort of think personally that that any sort of craving comes from some sort of nutritional uh, deficiency mm. or your, your body needs something. But when I sit down and, and eat the same meal, I can I can just have it very simply just cold meat and cold fat and salt, and I'd, I'd eat that all year. And so you don't get So I really think this whole lack of variety comes down to that you're getting nutritionally satisfied. And that's why you're not really craving anything. What about just taking one step on from that? What about socializing? Because we all need a social life. So how do you approach that if someone invites you over for dinner, for example? As I said, I'll I'll, I'll eat whatever's put in front of me that night. And then it actually becomes a treat. So, you know, Monday to Friday, I'm never staunch. I, I actually used to the last two cherry seasons i've eaten cherries uh they come in season about six weeks uh interesting though enough this year i started and i lasted two days and i didn't really just didn't sort want of, them anymore no i was looking forward to them and it, they weren't so, so I, I stopped sorry. um whereas last year i lasted about four weeks and then all of a sudden bang i'd had enough so that was really interesting i thought because the what i remembered i'm really looking forward to cherry season and, and so yeah, yeah it's, so it's really interesting that it doesn't become restrictive or hard because you don't miss these things yeah that's interesting because it sounds from the outside looking in it sounds very restrictive and people might be thinking oh I couldn't do that it's too hard but what you're saying is it's actually not hard because you don't crave other things what about you Rochelle how do you go about um, 
when you're socializing if someone invites <laughs> you out so you can't control the menu mm. what what do you do about that uh, so so we tend to go out quite a bit. Mm, um, yeah, I have sure. I have my go-to restaurants that I go to, but I will just modify the, uh, the what I'm eating or what's on the plate and I'll just get them to change it up for me. But what if you're at a friend's house? I usually tell them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny because we were out to dinner at a friend's house the other night and they know, you know, how I eat. Yeah. And so they'd done this ribeye. I thought, perfect. And, you know, there was no salt on the table. And I'm, you know, cranking, can I have some salt, please? And alongside that, she, she'd put this, you know, whole heap of broccolini. And I put it, I thought, oh, geez, all right. You know, this is okay. It's keto. It's still, I can do it. I put it in my mouth and I was just like, why am I eating this? It's just like, I just i mean i like i used to like it yeah but it just it got he's right it gave me nothing it just gave me nothing um and i'm i'm i know at once fascinated and blown away by that <laughs> yeah i love the yeah. look of it on the plate it yeah. Looks yeah it looks great. beautiful and 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 i get it and i know you and i were both taught that you know we've got to have this wide variety of fruit and vegetables yeah. but and but i still do that <laughs> coming coming back to what you said about dietary fiber what you will notice on a um, a carnivore diet in particular, and I'm pretty sure Olaf can vouch for this, is you have less bowel actions. Um, yeah, that kind of makes less, sense. Yeah. There's, yeah, because there's less bulk as well. Yep. Um, and you have, I would say, next to no bloating and, and mm. very little flatulence. Yeah. Um, I think that becomes really important for somebody who's an ultra trail marathon runner because for some of them that I know, their biggest complaint was they had to stop, go to the toilet, you know. Uh, yeah, that, that is actually a huge issue, issue yeah. sorry, in um, ultra events because if you get that, if if you get cramps in your gut, once they start, it's very hard to stop and that can derail a whole race. Okay, mm. yeah, yeah. Particularly, I guess, you know, for those people who are affected, like with your, your goo powders or, you know, mm. gels or whatever, and they've got caffeine in it, which behaves like a stimulant, you know, it can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> <laughs> it works. So do ketones, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, and we talked about, you know, folate, which, you know, everybody knows is in eggs and liver and, and our antioxidants. Talking about antioxidants, because that's why you bring up plants, okay? Yeah. So, so, so plants are, you know, the primary source of non-nutrient antioxidant compounds, you know, your carotenoids, your polyphenols mm, and stuff. But, all the colours. Mm. Yes, but preformed vitamins, A, E and K, copper, zinc, selenium, coenzyme Q10, are actually found in their highest concentrations in animal, animal products. Well, is that because animals eat plants and yeah. so they retain those in their in their um, flesh and yeah. fat. So it's really mm. interesting. Um, I buy my meat from um, uh, Carnivore, which is a group up at Mount Torrens. Um, he's a third generation butcher and that is grass fed and grass finished. And um, Olaf would agree grass fed, grass finished is the way to go. Um, those animals have this beautiful, um, so, you know, typically in an animal that's grain fed, you'd see this white pure white sort of marbling of the fat so it's got a much higher omega-6 to omega-3 profile mm -hmm. more inflammatory yeah whereas this fat is almost on it it's like a, a a yellowy color and that's the that's the carotenoids in the fat that's coming through that's been eaten by these ruminant animals which is fantastic so it changes the omega-3 to omega-6 profile giving a much higher omega-3 and that fat actually is not white it's more of a yellowy color and it actually breaks down very easily in the pan it's almost soft to chew it's not like gristle like you would yeah. expect very different um, does it taste different yeah it does mm. taste different have you found that i find it tastes yeah different. we have our um, the supplier i use i haven't i haven't tried yours yet i do really want to 
but I get, um, or my family and I get all our meat from Mount Pleasant Farmers Market. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. It's friends of ours. Um, uh, Sandra's the lady running it. I'm just trying to think of their I'll name put, now. I'll put links to these. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, uh, they do the same grass fed, grass finished, and it, it's it's, it's definitely a trend up there, hasn't it? They they know. They yeah, know it's good. yeah. But it's it's very hard to mess that meat up when you cook it. I mean, yeah. I like my my meat rare, but even if you do happen to cook it a bit more, it's still good. Mm-hmm. Whereas a bad piece of meat. You don't cook it perfectly. It's like an old it's, shoe. Yeah, it's like that. So. <laughs> the meat we get has, has been hung for at least a week and sometimes two. And so that means it dries out a, a little Is bit. Is that but what butchers refer to as dry age? Yes, yep. yes. Uh, but it also seems to really retain the, the... So when, as Rochelle says, when you cook it, it doesn't leak out the water. The water stays in, in the meat. And... Uh, so it's tender. Yeah. And then the last few months, um, <laughs> I boiled my cooking down to very, very simply. I, I roast, I long, I slow cook everything in the oven for about three or four hours. Uh, so I get usually like in, in a roast. So I buy all my meat in bulk and then put in one or two kilos at a time, put the oven at the very, very lowest. And that, that loses even less moisture. There's wow. hardly anything in the pan and the meat just comes out perfect. Oh, doesn't matter amazing. what you do with beef, chicken, Smells pork. Cool. Yeah, it sounds very <laughs> so, easy. <laughs> so you almost got no washing up, no nothing. I just even when I buy packaged meat, uh, if I run out of my, my good stuff, open the packet, put it in the oven, and that's it. Yeah, it's done. Very so. easy. And Olaf, while we're talking about meat, you and your parents have a company called Grassland Nutrition. Uh, where you produce, uh, you can tell us, but grass-fed liver and um, capsules and I believe powders and things. So can you tell us about what you do and and how they're produced? Yes, so we source, um, so it's basically freeze-dried liver, but we also do heart and kidney now. And again, it comes back to where you get the highest nutritional value in an animal is in the organs. Mm-hmm. I believe actually the brain is the very highest, but then liver is number number two. Um, so yet, but to retain the nutritional value, and if if you are um, processing it, then something like freeze drying will. It's a bit like eating the raw product, but in powder form. Yeah. Um, so you retain. You pretty much lose no nutrients, and it'll pretty much store forever. Yep. Uh, so it's it's a way of eating organs if you don't like organs. Obviously, as you said, we have a capsule. We also have what we call uh, snacks or chunks now. Oh, yes, I tried one at your house. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are becoming very popular because there's like a little bit to, to eat. So the powder, uh, you can, I mean, I like mixing that into my scrambled eggs. Does that um, have a f- a much of a flavor, the powder? No, and that that's yeah. the thing. If you don't mind a little bit of a flavor, it's like the flavor is is maybe ten percent if you're eating uh, fried liver. Yeah, so it's very very mild. So that's but then it just adds a nice flavor to say your scrambled eggs. Well, that's good to know because for people that want the benefits of eating that but don't really like the flavor, that's probably a good way forward, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people are waking up to and, and wanting liver uh, because of the nutritional benefits. Yeah. The other thing that's good about that in, in our culture in Australia, Western culture, is that traditionally we've wasted a lot. Um, you know, we've butchered animals and just taken the prime cuts 
and wasted the rest. So it's good that um, that's changing a bit. Well, I think we were actually the first Australian company to, to do this. I think Pete Evans was before us, but he wasn't really doing much about it. But now he's yeah. he's out on it again. After, anyway, <laughs> that's what we say anyway. But no, it, was, um, it, it wasn't something that was really uh, people were aware of, but now it, it started to become very popular. So um, if people want to buy your products, can they order them online or what's the best way? Sure. Yeah, we've got a, a website, uh, grasslandnutrition.net. Okay. I'll put a link to yep. that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, and we're also on Amazon um, Australia and Amazon US. Mm-hmm. So we sell through those channels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So Rochelle, speaking as a nutritionist, um, who would you recommend should go on the carnivore diet and why? And are there any people that you would say, for various reasons, should not go on it? Mm. Um, So anybody can give a carnivore diet a try, um, as long as they understand that, you know, it is meat and salt and organ meats and they're they're getting, you know, what they need. Um, The only people I would suggest perhaps my concerns would be for would be um, people who are on renal dialysis. Mm -hmm you know, want to take care. Sometimes um, people who have had obesity surgery and have very, very tiny pouches of their tummy, um, and so it's very difficult for them to absorb large amounts of protein. Right. Although there's ways around that, certainly ways around that in terms of making sure they're getting a lot of um, good nutrition through eating eggs and, you know, liver capsules and things like that. It's not it's not finite. Um, I think people with swallowing disorders, again, very difficult to, yeah, to chew. Um, and also people with really poor dentition. So they'd be the people, you know, because the last thing you need is a foreign body stuck in your esophagus <laughs> or airway. So, you know, common sense would prevail. But, yeah, it's definitely doable. I would say that anyone wanting to try it's probably a good idea to go and see Rochelle or if you're not in South Australia, someone with similar qualifications yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I do phone consoles, consoles Oh, there we go, or well. on the phone. Yeah. And uh, you might have heard Olaf mention earlier that he uh, rides horses every morning, uh, so he works with some jockeys. And I understand he's worked with um, a jockey who needed to lose some weight. So can you tell us about how you helped him or her? Yeah, it was actually her. Her, sorry. Um, <laughs> So she obviously knew I had a little bit to do with diet. So we got talking one morning and she said, oh, could you help me? I got to lose about two and a half, three kilos. And she's a pretty small girl to start with. Yeah. So we had, uh, it was an interesting experiment because about 10 days. And so we didn't really have long. No, that's not long. She still had to, you know, the life of a jockey is, is quite physically demanding every day. So they start early as well. Um, in the morning riding horses and training but then they gotta go off uh, at least a couple of times a week and ride in races in the afternoon so you can imagine it's a very physical day and then if they have a weight issue um they might have to not eat that whole morning while they're riding uh, track work in training and then still maintain their energy right through to the end of the race day so they often have to go without really having anything yeah and they probably um, feel dizzy and mm. yeah so it, it is a bit of a problem but um but what i basically did i put this girl on a carnivore diet um we calculated her her energy intake and it was pretty much meat and fat 
and she was very good and stuck stuck to it. So in the first 48 hours, she she dropped a kilo, kilo and a half, and she was still feeling good. We did start out in a good place because the way she was eating was was fairly good. And when I tested her ketones on day number one, she was in ketosis, which oh, told okay. me that she was already a good fat burner. So it was, yeah. a, it was really about we cut out the fiber. Mm. And uh, she even started feeling feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in, in ten days, she uh, no problem at all. So has she continued? Did she feel she, so good that she, she wanted to did, keep going? Yeah. And um, she actually even won the race that we aimed at. <laughs> oh, and, and she, but she said some interesting things through the ten days that she actually felt more energy than she had before, and she was eating a lot less. Mm. And on the day where she had the big race, uh, she had very little dinner the night before, and then nothing the whole day. She even had to go in the sauna in the morning, and she said, "I probably never felt better." Ever. Oh, that's very so interesting. So that was on, on no food for, you know, till the end of the day. So close to 24 hours. So what I'm hearing is that eating that way, um, I guess this makes sense. It, it eliminates those insulin spikes. Is that right? Because you're not having the glucose so uh, as much. So you don't feel those hunger pangs. That's a part of it. The mm. other thing is, um, you know, ketones are actually the preferred fuel source of the brain. Um, if we look at an infant, you know, that's breastfeeding in the first six months of life, life they're frequently in nutritional ketosis. Um, and, you know, these ketones are fantastic for white matter. So that's not the first story I've, I've actually heard about this. I know several surgeons, lawyers, CEOs, whether they're in meetings, operating, in court, um, who all practice fasting um, and find, you know, if it's a surgeon, they've got better hand-eye coordination, better dexterity, better, better mental clarity. You know, they're not being interrupted to have to, you know, nick off to the toilet and scrub out. Um, the lawyers that I'm talking to are reporting that they're doing better in court. So this this isn't just a once-off thing. I mean, and I practice it myself, you mm. know. Um, that's It's correct. The ketones actually make you more alert, more orientated. Yeah. But how do we know that? Because... You have to try it, man. You have to try it. (laughs) But if the body preferentially burns uh, glucose as fuel, then it's quite a radical dietary change to make the body and the brain then burn ketones. So... How it's, do not we that, it's not that radical. I mean, if you're insulin sensitive, you'll do it quite readily yeah. like Olaf would and like that other jockey would, Yeah, probably like you would. I'm insulin resistant, so for me a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if you're curious about it, you can have a look online about uh, some of the stuff that Dr. Stephen Cunane is doing in this space with Alzheimer's. So now you've got people who have... Um, a breakdown of glucose metabolism in the brain. It simply is not working anymore. And they have no choice but to go to that secondary fuel source and use ketones. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had um, patients in my rooms who do have uh, mild dementia and uh, some of them, you know, the, 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 the improvement, you know, of their brains is out of sight by the time they switch across there, you know, I think we'd all agree that there is a period of adaptation. Um, so, so for those of you sitting out there who are thinking, great, you know, I'll do this tomorrow and I'll, mm. I'll run the best race of my life. <laughs> Not quite. If there is a period of um, adaptation or fat adaptation that we talk about, which takes about three months. 
and some of the frustrations from research scientists have in the past have been when you know uh, these studies have been poo-pooed by various scientists and when we actually have a look at the time frame that these athletes oh, have been training too short too short yeah you know two weeks 10 days you know this is something that takes a while to to get right so yeah and one more question Rochelle how do you combine that with family life because Rochelle's got um three sons right yeah three i do yeah. hungry boys so. <laughs> and a husband so how yeah. do you manage that so how do i manage a ketogenic yeah. diet yes okay um are so, they all on it um so i've got a 22 year old a 20 year old and a, and a 17 year old um the middle one has come and gone he recently fought all the fires um in south australia and and he found being, bravo yes thank you yes. um the ketogenic diet at times were a little was a little tricky because mm. you're out for very long periods of time and he didn't have access to what he necessarily needed to but he he was okay the the oldest one will fluctuate and sort of um i would say keto carb cycle mm-hmm. and the youngest one has been keto um and he did really well on that, but he's also a rower. Um, and he got a lot of peer group pressure to switch he's to carb age, loading, which yeah. drove me mad because I knew he'd be okay. What he's found is that he, he's doing year 12, is that he's um, he's slowed down. He's not proce- His processing speed isn't as fast as what it was beforehand. He can't help but wanting to go to sleep after he's had a large uh, load of carbs. Yep. Um, he's gained uh, excess body fat. He's lost lost a little bit of lean muscle, and he's now talking about once rowing season is over, is going back to keto. He doesn't yeah. like how this feels. He had a little bit more bloating, IBS. Um, so I I think by and large, I mean I only cook keto or carnivore at home, um, so I think they'll come back to it. My husband, who was an absolute no, this isn't going to work, almost vegetarian, complete one eighty, switched. Yeah, completely switched. Yeah. yeah, it was fascinating. Yes. So there you go. Okay. Um, so I think uh, Olaf and I have agreed we'll do another podcast where we can talk more about his 30-minute um, strength program and, and his progression from an endur- your endurance runner, Olaf. Yeah, or I used to run the ultra-marathons. Ultra-marathons. Yeah. Um, but we won't spoil that because that's going to be really so, so interesting. Ultra-marathon for someone who doesn't run. Oh, yeah. Ultra-marathon is, well, technically it's anything over a marathon, so anything over 42.2 k's. Oh but there are some ultra marathons that are, you know, 170 kilometers or more. So. Yeah, that's a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's very crazy. Um, so we heard from Rochelle about her um, things that she would recommend, um, two things she'd recommend that all people could do to improve their well-being in episode seven. So, Olaf, if, if you could recommend two things... What would they be? In regards to, to diet? To, uh, no, to anything, just well-being in general. It doesn't have to be diet-related. It can be. But. Okay, well, obviously, um, I would try eating eating meat and, meat and fat or the carnivore diet. Um, this might be a bit strange, but recently I've started doing ice baths. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so... And you might have heard of Wim Hof, the ice Yeah, band. Rochelle yeah, and I so... were talking about that just before you arrived. It's oh, a right. bit freaky. Well, that yeah. that's my newest thing. Yeah. I, I'm just going, I actually want to do his instructor's course. So hopefully, if all goes well, it'll, I'll be able to do it this year. Oh, cool. Well, the first, first part of it is, a, is an online course, 10-week course. 
But uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing the ice bath and, and the breathing probably for the last month. Where do you do that? Just at home. So oh, actually, you just fill up your own bath? Yeah, with... so I, I used to actually go and buy the ice, but yeah. now I, I because that's going to send you broke. So yeah. I, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I bought a, a deep freezer, uh, just a small one to, to make the ice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, I don't know how to explain what it's doing. It's probably a combination of the breathing and the ice bath. But it's certainly helped me a lot. Olaf, you certainly are the ultimate self-experimenter. I think we could keep on talking for ages, but we'll leave it there for today. So thank you, um, Rochelle and Olaf, for coming on. Thank you. look forward to speaking to you again. Well, no one can deny that Rochelle and Olaf are two very interesting people, and they're not scared of experimenting on themselves, as you've heard. Rochelle mentioned a few terms like anti-nuclear antibodies, insulin resistance, apoptosis. So I will put a little glossary in the show notes and I'll also put links to the farmers that they mentioned and uh, Olaf's and Rochelle's websites. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like to, you can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. And please do feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy my podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon, to help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content, please visit the Contribute page on my website. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.